So last time we talked, we were discussing how you got a prediction around the Victorian, uh, sorry, the federal Australian election quite correct. And you published your results before the election happened. And you did the same thing as a follow-up piece for the US federal election as well, which just happened like literally a couple of hours ago, I think the results for the lower house were announced uh, where the Republicans now have a slim majority, but it looks like the Dems have um, held on to the upper house with a majority there. So what was your system saying prior and how right did you get it this time? Well, this is not our first election, as you know, so we've refined our methodology and I think this time around, it's always the issues that drive voters. And if you get the issues right and you can measure the intensity of the emotion, which gives you the indicator of swings in whichever direction, then you're pretty on par to get a 90% accuracy or more. So for the US midterms, we only looked at the Senate races that were very, very tight. And there's a a total of eight states and plus one was Alaska because I did a a podcast just for them. So I looked specifically at Alaska. But the results to this minute um, are looking at eight out of nine confirmed correct with the one state to go, which is Georgia, going to a runoff in December. So I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding. It's not our first election. But as I said, when the pollsters are still scratching their heads saying, how did we get this wrong? Well, fundamentally, they never understand the issues. Polling is not Mm -hmm. a system to understand the true issues that drive people to change their voting behavior. I think that's a good thing because you mentioned last time we spoke about getting the issue right was one and then also asking the right questions. And a lot of the existing polling doesn't always ask the question in the right way, which gives you a false response. But let's start with the issues. Uh, what were the main issues for this runoff in this election of the US? The issues were really around civil rights and democracy. So there was always that uh, question prior to the midterms about how much abortion was going to be an influence. There was a question around Trump. There was a question around the MAGA, the Make America Great Again, far-right Trumpian Republicans. Uh, there was a question, all the usual stuff like immigration, education, healthcare, economy, gun control. So we took all of that into consideration. And again, through our process of analysing the content, the emotional intensity around these issues in America uh, at that point in time, it was very clear that the uh, the number one issue is abortion. And the female fury in particular from the Roe v. Wade decision earlier in the year was the rising red wave <laughs> of fury, which was talked about as a red wave, but the red wave that was predicted was a red wave of Trump or Republican support which never happened. When we looked at Trump, he had a lot of influence in this election, obviously. But when we looked at the MAGA theme, it was resoundly rejected, meaning there was negative, deep negative sentiment across the key states we looked at in the Senate races. Okay, so it's interesting because the Roe vs. Wade, I think the Republicans are trying to play that down because, you know, that was of their base. You would you would argue like that decision and the way the Supreme Court justices were appointed on the more conservative leaning side, uh, which then led to that decision, which led to that fury. But I mean, I think it's the proof is in the pudding. I mean, those people have to vote against it enough for it to become an issue. But I think the counter argument was that, oh, well, the Republican base aren't going to vote against that. So are you saying then the thing that swung on this issue was Democrats coming out in larger numbers voting against that decision? Or was it Republicans also doing the same thing against their own party? 
both. So with the Democrats, okay. it was very, they made a very clear stance. In fact, Joe, Joe Biden mentioned that one of the first things he was going to address was the uh, abortion rights issue. And so that obviously was a very big supporting push for Democrats, for normal Democratic voters, but also the independent and leaning voters. Within the Republican Party, you were seeing the MAGA theme fracturing the party into two. You had very clear uh, traditional moderate Republicans, and then you had the far right the crazy Trumpian MAGA Republicans. So that didn't help their cause. Um, the economy was interesting because uh, Joe Biden's uh, approval rating in relation to the economy was all negative. And unfortunately, you know, he inherits a lot of the world's issues in relation to the economy um, as being the sitting president. However, that was not the strongest theme that was going to swing this election. It was truly the abortion and the MAGA themes. Wow. Okay. So, so MAGA was that poisonous because, uh, and this I think gets to the next thing is why polling can be used in different circumstances. But from my understanding, sometimes Trump is very good at crafting his own image and controlling that uh, as much as possible. So sometimes, you know, you need to, and I'm not just saying this about Trump, but anybody, you need to fake popularity to then for it to become sometimes self-fulfilling. So you spin your own narrative, you know, do some selective shots of, you know, large crowds and rallies and things like that. And you create this, uh, perception that perhaps you're more popular than you are because you can use that as political capital in negotiations and things like that. So are you saying that his popularity, of course, he's going to say he's more popular than he actually is, but that was tested here and it became less popular than when he was a sitting president? I think people see through a lot of that because when it comes to voting, at the end of the day, you don't really care for, from based on our experience at looking at elections and voting behaviour, people really deeply care about the issues they don't really turn into the politics and the gaming and the showmanship. Um, I don't think gen in general people have much trust in politicians anyway or the media uh, for that matter, the mass media. And so they make their own decisions about what is the best option for them. And when it comes to that decision, it's always a very, very uh, personal one, which is does it impose on my civil rights like abortion? Does it create more jobs and security for my family and my community? So those issues are always true to the core. And unfortunately, these antics and this um, propaganda machine is so powerful. Sometimes it gives you the illusion that it is actually swaying the tide. It's not. However, in the US, it's an interesting market because they don't have compulsory voting. So part of the election gaming means that they need to create the desire for people to vote. So in a way, you have to be quite extreme in your views and the way you present it and almost sensationalise it. And Trump's a master at that. He's an absolute genius when it comes to creating a narrative and moving people along. It's unbelievable. He, whatever he says to some people is gospel. That's power. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You raise a good point. Like, I know in Australia, compulsory voting, you know, we're forced to go out on election day and make a choice. But for them, it's like, you've got to take some time, sometimes out of your day, your work time to go and vote, which is, a, I would call a, a pretty high cost to the individual. So for me to be motivated above and beyond to, to do that and make that sacrifice of either my personal time or money or, or both, yeah, you're right. You need to be motivated enough to do that. So not just BAU, but also... You know, the two polar ends of the political spectrum always vote along the side of their party lines, like the extreme ends, right? So you're saying then it's this middle sort of swinging voter base that are really deterministic in terms of who gets in power and who isn't, and they are more focused on their own issues as opposed to political alignment with any one party. 
I think we see that more and more across the world, like in, even in Australia. Um, I mean, we're not as polarizing in the left and the right as we are in the US, but people always at the end of the day, if you ask them the truth, they would pick elements of the left and elements of the right in their decision. And they just wish that they could combine into one, but most of the time you have to do a trade-off. And so it's a very interesting way to understand people and markets and psychology and how people make decisions. And in this election, like we saw, like even the issues of immigration were very important to some of the border states because it's always an issue. And so for those states, we took a particular hard look at that. Uh, it wasn't a high-ranking issue, but it was still it was still part of the consideration. And we looked at it from the element of the English-speaking uh, population as well as the Spanish-speaking population. And for our call on uh, Nevada that was and Arizona, that was where we relied a lot of this information on, sort of the nuanced issues state by state. Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, uh, some of your detractors are rightly are sort of challenging some of your predictions here, going, how, how right did you get it and when did you get it right before the election occurred? Can you give us some more information on that? When you published things, did you get a change in the lead up when you started to, you know, the day or two out from the election? Uh, how did that pan out? Yeah, it's interesting. I get a lot of commentary on the work that we do. Our process is always very consistent. We start with the issues and the issues don't change. It's more the sentiment towards the issues that change and the intensity as as you ramp up into um, closer and closer towards the polling day or election day. And so we always release our results at stages based on the analysis required at the time. And our final predictions were released on the uh, the day of um, in the US because we're ahead of them 17 hours or so. So we released it in Australian time, uh, which happened to be on the day of the 8th of November. So it was technically prior to the outcome. But even so, um, for all those challenges out there, I welcome their challenge because it means that they're curious as to how we've been accurate and consistently able to, um, you know, call the big calls. And so, yeah, I, I welcome all those challenges. It just shows interest. And there was no pre, uh, like early voting indications at that stage that would have um, already been counted that went to that decision? Or? No, I don't. we don't pay attention to the game, um, you know, prior to the election, because at the end of the day, it's um, the votes at the end that count. Um, and also what you hear from the news, sometimes you can't rely on that. I mean, like you can see how polling has been used almost as a, a propaganda weapon in mass media. And everyone's got a poll, you know, one poll says this, one poll says that. And then you have expert forecasters that uh, aggregate polls and come up with their own methodology, weighting certain polls better than others, this and that. At the end of the day, still, the polls did not get it right. They were all expecting a red wave that did not happen. They didn't, so, they, they, they so, missed the big issues. Well, I think this is a really good thing to talk about is that um, I think you're right there, like research can be used as a weapon to reinforce the message that you want to promote. So let's just say if I'm a left or right leaning news organization network that is uh, aligned with a particular party or, or set of people, you know, it might be, might be in my interest to run a poll with a select sample and uh, a leading question that then gives the result that I want so I can sort of reinforce the narrative I want to spin. Um, but you're then saying there's some people who aggregate all those, which uh, I would say not very robust and it's like a layer of wrong on top of a layer of inaccuracy. Yeah, correct. It's um, adding more dirty data to an already dirty pot of water and then assessing whether or not it's like salty or sweet. Like it's, it's, when you average averages, you get an average result. 
I feel for the pollsters because they're really scratching their heads on like this time around. They were hoping, based on their tweaking of the methodology from 2020, that they were able to get it more correct. But I think, again, it just shows that it's it's just not the right way. And the reason why is because ultimately, um, aside from the technical nature of sampling, theoretically, even if you sampled the entire population, people ultimately don't often tell you the truth, consciously or subconsciously, and they don't make the decision until the point in time. And what people say they'll do in the future doesn't always correlate with what they actually do. You can't get rid of that problem, no matter what you do, how you cut the samples, what you do with polling, how often you do it, etc. Um, there was also conversation around with, amongst the pollsters that they didn't pick up on the youth vote, young people, you know, so mm. they were not able to be polled because they don't answer their phones. <laughs> you know, so there's almost like this, oh, we missed this market. And you know, this market actually was one force that drove the result. A lot of them were new registered voters. The majority of them um, that voted for the Democrats were female, not surprisingly. So if you don't even capture that in your sampling methods, then you, again, you have dirty data. Yeah, interesting. Because most political parties often have an internal poll that I run, which isn't public knowledge, which perhaps is a bit more accurate, independent. Are you still saying that those can be inaccurate with themselves, even if they're not public information? Depends on what they're polling for. Like, say, if they're looking to craft a what's the strongest message for the Republican Party out of a suite of 10 things we could place our bets on, and they only talk to their Republican base of different, you know, degrees of persuasion, um, then that's a valid, uh, that's a valid, I guess, uh, piece of input because it's within that um, confines of that, environment but if you're looking at the wider construct of winning an election you have to go much wider than that and you have to look deeply into what are the drivers of voting and it always comes down to the issues and so Mm. if you don't know what the issues are how can you ask them about the issues so the final thing then where where are you going to next we've got you know not too bad run record but again proof is in the pudding of like reliability so what's next Uh, another election or well, everyone's asked me to do the Victorian state election, which is this week. I did. And <laughs> you did. And, um, yeah, we're, I don't, I'm not really interested in looking at the Victorian state election. Um, we're more interested in looking at the big, uh, the big national elections, the ones that really tell us a story about where a nation's pulse is at. So, um, so we're not going to look at the Victorian state election. Um, we're going to look at the 2024, obviously, the presidential. And Trump has obviously said that he's going to run. So that will be a very interesting time and there'll be a lot of insights that we can provide for people along the journey to understand what's going on there. Okay, interesting. Uh, well, I'll look forward to that. And if people want to follow then that progress, uh, I'm guessing you're going to start sometime next year in the run-up to 2024 or, or some later half of next year. Where, how would they follow you and get in touch and follow that journey? Well, we always have our content on LinkedIn and YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok talk about overkill but that's what you need to do these days people are everywhere uh, i also invite people to subscribe to our maven pulse newsletter which uh, we report on world and topical events uh, told through sentiment data it provides a different perspective on understanding issues and so elections is obviously one of them but we also write about um, climate change and other big you know sort of topical um, newsworthy style uh, content so invite everyone to subscribe get straight to your inbox but also, if people have questions, I'm very open on uh, LinkedIn. I'm very active on there, so you can ping me anytime. 
Sounds good. Okay. Well, um, pleasure to talk again um, about your predictive AI. Um, I think it's a really interesting area. And, you know, it has uh, created a bit of heated debate with the Tourism Australia ad and some other things that we're talking about. But yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to follow. So thanks for your time again. Thank you. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, I'll press start.